1: With Kroger Free Pickup, the savings are always with you. So you get the same great deals as in-store right in the app. Add your family's favorites to your cart while at the zoo, the science fair, or wherever. No matter where you order Kroger Pickup from, you can stay on budget while easily stocking up on everything you need. So start your cart and save from wherever today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum, restrictions may apply, subject to availability.
2: What does the future hold? None of us know. In fact, it's really all up in the air in these days. The whole world is on notice. Where are we headed? What are we gonna do? Sometimes it's important to turn to novels and stories, especially ones from writers like Diana Wink. Who's very creative, very talented, And gives us a refuge to think of faraway places, stories that give us opportunities to think. Please enjoy a short excerpt from Diana's book, Prometheus Rising, before we head into our conversation.
1: Prometheus Rising. For so I created them free, and free they must remain. John Milton Paradise Lost. Chapter One. It often happens to me the sudden feeling of having been here before, in an indefinite pastime at this place. Before me lay a city bathed in the early sunrays, smoke, and panic. My Tesla sped through the streets of globalized London, streets that looked so different on that day. My medical beeper buzzed relentlessly. The ancient Greeks called this feeling anemnesis like waking up to some ineffable truth, peeking behind a curtain far beyond myself, just for a split second. Unclear if the explosion on Trafalgar Square is a terrorist attack. A male voice in the late forties broke my thoughts through the crackling radio, trying to sound matter-of-fact, but I sensed the tremor behind it. Trafalgar Square. I would have to pass right by it to get to the hospital. I accelerated instinctively, My mind objected, as did the display on my lenses, raising a red warning sign that I drove too fast. Danger in Trafalgar Square, the display on my eyes read, and I blinked to erase the information. The sense of anemnesis refused to leave me. It was one of the side effects of the ecstatic state my mind would escape to when it sensed danger. My brain released dopamine and norepinephrine into my system, chemicals that increased heart rate. Tightened focus and boosted pattern recognition capabilities, allowing me to make connections between information I hadn't noticed before. And this was only the first stage. The ecstatic experience was like breathing, like a sport the world chased since the biotechnological revolution. Still, it always made me uneasy. Countless pedestrians fled. Ambulances and police cars rushed past me. Sirens resounded everywhere. Armed men and women from the London Global Police roamed the streets, joined by soldiers and special forces in their black exoskeletons and blue helmets. What had become of this city? A European megapolis. A city that never sleeps. Advanced, a model for the rising global world. Amidst the chaos stood the red double-decker bus. And a gorgeous blonde woman waved at me, from the large screen attached to it, advertising toothpaste. The screen blinked and went dark. London crumbled around me, yet another city unable to escape the increasing terror that roamed our world.
2: Okay. So, Diana, thanks for being on the show today. I really appreciate it, uh, especially with the strange times we're living in right now.
1: Yeah, definitely. But thank you for having me.
2: Yeah, of course. And uh, I enjoyed greatly being on your podcast a while back there. It was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, definitely. And it was also very informative, at least for me.
2: <laughs> what did you take from it? I know you you learned a lot about what I believe about fitness and wellness. What was your uh, take after that?
1: You know, actually, every time I exercise now, I think about your words, how mo- physical movement is not exercise, and I always push myself to actually exercise when I do it. It's, it's really motivating, actually.
2: <laughs> you like, I'm going harder now, much harder. Yeah,
1: yeah definitely. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, I'd love to learn more about like kind of creativity and writing and your background on that, I think is something I want to explore and just take me, you know, to the beginning of that
1: uh yeah sure so I always I I think it's kind of typical but I always wrote stories and I always wrote I actually started writing poems in Russian because I I grew up uh in the Russian language um yeah and then I wrote my first novel when I was 13 or something oh, okay. um but then I kind of I don't know I wanted to do stories, to tell stories, but I wanted to be a filmmaker from the beginning on. So I studied media, I studied film directing in London, and I shot lots of short films, sent them to festivals. Um, And then I realized that the business is really hard of being a director and you get paid for nothing basically in the beginning and also like your everyday life. Is something that's really, really difficult. So when you're shooting, you have like 12 to 14 work hours a day for three months. You shoot at night, you shoot in the cold. And um, yeah, I just decided it wasn't something that I want to do because I didn't want to have this lifestyle. Uh, and I wanted to have the freedom to just sit and write from my desk, from wherever I want, from so remotely, to work remotely, to have the freedom to be with my family when I wanted. And that's why i decided to actually become a writer and a blogger and do everything online and serve my uh readers from uh, from my desk basically
2: <laughs> yeah yeah oh, that's awesome do you ever miss it though on some level uh what you were doing
1: oh yeah I definitely do being on a shoot is it's i don't know i can't even explain the dynamics explain the dynamics um It's so interesting because you work with so many people from different disciplines, so many creative and professional people, and you learn so much. And though it is hard work, it's also very rewarding. Um, But I still do shooting sometimes, not short films, more like um, ads or TV, or I also do theaters. So um, yeah, we do theater productions here in Germany. And this is something similar as well, where you work with people creatively and it's it's really cool.
2: So what kind of theater productions are we talking about?
1: Yeah, it's mostly with young people. So we are like uh, a team of young people and we're doing it like we're not professionals per se. So we're not getting paid for that, but we're doing it like after work. Uh, we're creating professional musical and theater productions here in our city locally uh, but it's really cool because it's not like um, we, we're we striving to be professional. We are really good. We have people who are like dancers and singers at a very, very high level. And um, like with theater, you have the benefit of getting your feedback at once. So you have the audience sitting in the theater with you. And when you have the premiere, you see the reactions at once. And it's so interesting It's it's different in so many different, in so many ways. Like when you write a book, you don't know what people are thinking about it. You don't see their reactions when they actually read it. But in the theater, you get the feedback at once.
2: Tell me about book writing and that, um, you know, what have you written and what are you passionate about writing as we speak?
1: So I'm actually very passionate about storytelling and uh, storytelling uh, craft. Uh, because I've, I don't know, I've started educa- educating myself and writing like when I was really, like I told you, when I was in my teenage years. Mm-hmm. and um, But now I'm actually writing dystopian um, books. I oh. am finishing my trilogy right now. Yes, so the third book in the trilogy, Prometheus Dystopian Trilogy. Uh, it's about a future, not so distant future world. And it's quite interesting. I always loved dystopias because I feel like, they speak so much about like our society nowadays and uh, how people would react in difficult situations, you know, and it's very interesting, so interesting. Yeah, because of this situation we have right now. I, I'm always like, okay, I always think of dystopian films and movies and stories.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh. I love that genre, the dystopian societies, movies that portray that. Mm-hmm. very and you said prometheus so i'm like oh it makes me think of that movie prometheus you know and,
1: oh yeah <laughs> no but and, it's uh, not like that movie at all like prometheus is about aliens obviously yeah. but my prometheus is actually in some ways based on the greek legend of prometheus that's why i called my books like that it's mm-hmm. about rebellion and about fire and about people rebelling against government basically
2: wow that sounds pretty amazing actually um Whoa! I had no clue you're writing this type of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I love this type of stuff. I'm like, oh,
1: we gotta check this yeah, trilogy should out. Yeah, definitely read my books then.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I think what is it about those type of su- environments, societies that you know we talk about, like how people react. Like, how do you relate that to what's currently happening to what you've written about in your books?
1: So, my book is obviously not about that. It's not about an epidemic or a pandemic in
0: sure. any kind.
1: Uh, but I, I just watched the movie, um, uh, I'm not, not sure it's uh, called Con- Contagion, it's called. I do oh, if you know that. It's about yeah. contagion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about this pan- pandemic stuff. And it was really scary. But um, yeah, I think those kind of situations they bring out their. They actually tell us what's inside, you know, what we are all about. They bring out what's always been in us. So there are people who react in a positive way. Like we're seeing the people start helping each other, showing solidarity, uh, being helpful. And then there are people who are like aggressive and uh, selfish and it's everything is coming out. But I feel like it's always been in the people and those kind of situations they bring out what we're actually made of
2: what's the setting in your books like where's is is it a particular place like germany dystopic germany or is it a different part of the what's the setting
1: the setting is actually uh the british isles so the uk uh yeah i'm really passionate about england and scotland it's um to be honest it's kind of a mixture also uh I'm I've mixed dystopia with highland culture and um mm. uh, Gaelic culture because in my book I have a world that is divided into two people, two areas. We have the modern, highly modern cities, and we have like the outer areas where people live in their as if time went backwards with them. So they live in poverty, but they also live with those Gaelic and ancient traditions. And I have like I have a medic he's my the protagonist of my story who is coming from one world to the other and who's trying to connect those two worlds actually
2: oh wow, that sounds very interesting um is there no fantasy element to it, like dragons and weird stuff like that
1: uh no 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 i i I like fantasy, but I don't think I would ever write it. My I do have some interesting elements in there that are speculation, obviously, but they're actually based on science. I do a lot of research for my books. Uh, I did lots of research about future technology and what would be possible. And I based like everything I wrote, I based on stuff that I found out in books from professionals who were predicting what would happen like in the next 10 or 20 years. And it's really important for me to do lots of research and base stuff upon real things that happened and actually in my book I also based stuff upon historical things so we have in the outer areas we have uh, labor camps where people are forced uh, are like imprisoned and do forced labor and I based everything about that on the labor camps that were in the regimes we had in the past
2: right so are you would you consider yourself someone who's interested in like future technology and kind of a futurist idea of things
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. I definitely am. I subscribe to the Singularity Hub, and I read a wow. lot of this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love that. Let's expand upon books.
2: that. I mean, you're talking about all my stuff here that I'm fascinated, <laughs> fascinated about. This thing. So I, I have heard that, you know, that, that Singularity is, we're not far off of that. I mean, what's your take on that?
1: I'm not sure though, I feel like uh we have i a and it's progressing in a way in a much faster way than we'd expect, but on the same time, we don't have general i a and I think that's the problem. We have specific i a but having general i a so which means like an artificial intelligence mm-hmm. that can do everything. you know we have this artificial intelligence, it's good with speech, for example, or it's good with playing chess. And they're really specific, but if you give them another task that they're not programmed, that they're not made to do, they wouldn't be able to do it. So we have to create like general IA. And I'm not sure whether this will come. Probably it will, but I think we're still far away from that. But maybe I'm wrong. You know, I've also never imagined the pandemic coming our way that soon. So,
2: You know, I I've listened to a few things like, you know, artificial intelligence experts, like one like, you know, Lex Friedman and people like that. And I think they they have the same view that you mentioned that I think our version of like what we think I think we think of movie artificial intelligence is like, oh, robots become self-aware, sentient, consciousness mm-hmm. and robots. And from what I've heard of that, we are like so far away from that because, yeah, they're good at one task, but you give it more commands, it's like extremely dumb. Like it's it's not as close as we think. But do you think that we should prepare ourselves for some level of regulation on that instead of just like open work on AI without any real understanding of the potential consequences of it?
1: No, I think we definitely should. We def- definitely should have regulations that are also generally applied to the whole world, like globally. Uh, and I think people are also thinking about it. Like uh, I read, I'm not sure which book it was, to be honest, but I know that people are thinking about regulations and that scientists know that we need to have something, a way how we can make rules for IA and make sure that they don't destroy us when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem with IA, I think, is also the black box. Uh, you probably know what it is. So mm-hmm. like, if we put something into IA, we don't know how it comes up with the results. And people are trying to look into this black box, but this is so difficult to create explainable IA. Um, and this is why it's so difficult to impose regulations on IA.
2: Yeah, no, it makes sense. I think there's a lot of, um, I'm interested, I guess I have a very technical interest and also a science fiction interest as well. I mean, I love movies about the future and time travel and, um, and when all those things are combined and like a dystopic future and robots and aliens, I'm like, Oh, this is the best (laughs) thing ever. (laughs) I get so pumped up about it. I don't know. It's like, it has always influenced my life growing up like how I'm a huge sci-fi person. I love mm-hmm. that or I love like different things that look at the future and how how would our future unfold if we continue with certain behaviors type of thing, mm-hmm. you know? Yep, and some yep. places going to be more technologically advanced or do we blow ourselves back into a more primitive state of living, you know?
1: Yeah, I think it's a problem also with IA. In an ideal world, we would work alongside with IA. Mm -hmm. It would work for us, but I think it's the problem with every good technology that it can be also used for bad stuff, for evil stuff. And there are people out there who are trying to use it for things that it was not created to do. And I think that's like the hugest thing.
2: I feel like we do that as humans with a lot of things. Like we may have like a medicine Uh, That was used, for instance, like steroids or something, which was used for emaciated uh, people from prison camps and things of that nature to get back, you know, musculature and stuff. And then we use it for like performance enhancing drugs to try to cheat and like sports and stuff, you know, like we take things and that may be good and then turn them into things that what they were not intended for, for some altered outcome, you know.
1: Mm, yeah it's true i think it's that's the problem with humanity (laughs) in general so right um and we can't we can't prevent it we can not do anything about it and that's the danger
2: well what happens when we do something and artificial intelligence that we can't take back you know like you've gone so far that you've taken the genie out of the box and you can't put it back in you know so then there's like the frame of mind of that, well, we should merge with you know, machines so that we're not going to be their servants, so we might as well work together. Let's just merge with them type of thing. Have you thought about that?
1: Yeah, I, I've thought about it definitely. And I think, I don't know, for me, like for my life, it sounds crazy, like merging mm-hmm. with machines. But on the other hand, when I look at my grand, grandparents, for them the internet sounded crazy (laughs) and now we have it you know so i think um like many futurists say that the future that we have we cannot even imagine it because we have our conventions and we have our like we cannot go where the future will lead us because we just can't imagine what will happen we can only speculate about it but probably it will be different than what we think
2: i totally agree with that and i think we just don't know. We we project forward based off of what we currently know and what we think we will know. But we don't know, yeah, <laughs> exactly. know what that's going to be. And I see like, I mean, I would project forward like a merger or or a virtual reality world in some level, but who knows? I mean, it's hard to tell, right? I mean,
1: Yeah, it's definitely hard to tell. And probably, I think it will be something completely different from what we think it will be. And I don't know, maybe we should be worried, but I, and I know I'm a dystopian writer, so when I write, everything's mm-hmm. like doom and bad and evil, but <laughs> uh, as a person, I try to view technology in a very positive light, not to be scared of it and to like paint doom over it all the time, but try and use it, because we can't stop it anyway. If we complain about it, it won't stop, so we have to adapt to it, and we have to use it to our advantage.
2: How do you use it to your advantage? How do you, what's your process for that?
1: Like, for example, all of these, like for authors, uh, we have this uh, speech and text technology that's coming. So I use Descript, for example, it's an IA technology that when I podcast, you probably know it as well for podcasters, it's Mm -hmm. amazing. It just transcribes everything you do and you can edit your text, the transcription text and it will edit your audio automatically. Which is amazing. So if I cut something in the text, it cuts the audio at the same time. Right. Um, and uh, for translations, for example, we have DeepL now, um, which is really cool for doing like first drafts. Obviously, it's not that good. It's not perfect. When I put in my book into DeepL and try to translate it into another language, for example, German. I see that it's not perfect, but it's really good to have a first draft and then go from it and, and edit it. And I think audio like uh audiobooks from IA are coming as well. Hmm. Uh I heard some samples, I'm not sure which uh, I think it was Deep Zen. You have to check it out, it's so right. interesting. They have uh samples of r- audiobooks read by an IA. Mm-hmm. And it's so good. It's really, really good. It sounds so realistic. Some, yeah, you sometimes you couldn't tell if it's IA or human. Uh, and it's it's really difficult to do it with fiction, right? Because in fiction you have to act and you have to, uh, the you know, there's that, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, there's craft involved in that, and it's still really good. So I think this is something that many authors might use, especially those who are like indie publishing, who cannot afford uh, a professional speaker, they might start using this technology very soon, actually.
2: Wow. How soon are we talking here?
1: So Deep Zen has already, they launched those things and they're saying like in the next month, they will month? make it available. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Months. So several months, some, some, at some point, I think this year they will make it available to indie authors for, yeah, to just have their books spoken by NIA.
2: Oh my gosh. Have yeah, you heard of this, crazy. Uh, like the deep fakes, all that oh, stuff?
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm, definitely you know what's funny is i
2: pay attention to that it sounds obviously you do but i've talked to a lot of people about this and they have no clue that it exists or it's and and the rapid pace of Mm. deep faking actually it scares me actually on a lot of levels you know
1: yeah have you have you listened to the sleepwalkers podcast
2: sleepwalker
1: no yeah it's so good you have to listen to it it's all about ia in different areas of life uh, the first episode uh, the the first season the Sleepwalkers podcast it's you have to I check it check out and they out. have a I'm huge... writing a note right now
2: yeah. for this you. Know. <laughs> I got. I don't want to forget, you know. Like I mean, I listen (laughs) back to this, but I'm like, I'm gonna check this out right now. Why were I'm like, I just want to know the Sleepwalkers podcast.
1: Yes, and it's they have a whole episode on deep fakes.
2: No, really.
1: Yes, yes, and they had this their uh, host, one of their hosts. uh, They had her voice faked and the IA called one of her like an experiment, they called one of her uh, family members and tried oh. to find out the uh the the credit card number. <laughs> um yeah and it's it's really it's really interesting. So at some point the family member actually understood that something was wrong mm. with that voice. Yeah, but it was still good, and I feel like in maybe one year or two, it will be so good that it will be impossible to differentiate between between IA and the real person.
2: That scares me, honestly. Yes, on a thumb level, you know, like because people we just said people do weird stuff with things. You know, if you watch a video and it's indistinguishable from like it's you, and it shows you doing something really bad, and you're like, well, I didn't do that. I'm like, D- that's you doing that. That's you saying that. But like, but I didn't, you know. (laughs) There's gotta be some regulation on that. Like, that's something that I honestly not I don't care for. I just think it's very scary. Just me personally. I'm like, I don't know. That doesn't that seems like a machine created by a an evil genius in a movie that wanted to do something to badly, you know, like they wanted to get like the codes to the nuclear bombs or something, you know, like that's what that seems like to me, you know.
1: Yeah, but then they'll have stuff like, um, probably you've seen Black Mirror if you're a fan of dystopia. Have you? The Netflix series Black Mirror?
2: I have watched Black Mirror. It's very disturbing, actually. Yeah, a lot. And they it.
1: have. Do you remember this episode where they have this? Um, the the woman whose husband died in a car accident. Yeah. And then she purchased the package, and the she had this voice, his voice, talking to her, which obviously is also some kind of a deep fake made by an IA, essentially. Yeah. And I think this also might happen, very wow. soon, maybe. I just I'm <laughs> overwhelmed by it yeah <laughs> definitely it's it's scary it definitely is
2: i think scary, like i like the one um i think it was the two friends who um they were playing this video game with each other and they basically i don't know you put something on the side of your head and you basically go inside the video game with the person you're playing and you you know it's like mortal combat yeah. type of thing yeah i think but it was they, one
1: of the newest ones yeah yeah
2: and they started like there's two guys but they were like sexual with each other in the yeah. video oh, it
1: was game. so disturbing this episode. it was crazy
2: i <laughs> was like and then they were like not sure like in real life were they really into each other or not Yeah,
1: it was quite yeah it was quite That's, strange. But so
2: disturbing. It's like, will we be yeah. able to do that?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, the, these are the problems that will the next generations will face, you know. Uh, but I don't know, maybe our ancestors were scared when they had like photographs and when Photoshop came out and they were like, okay, somebody's got to Photoshop me in, into a photograph. I don't know. I really don't. <laughs>
2: that's it's just it's mind-blowing like your your grasp of this stuff is impressive because like i like this stuff but i i know very few people have a very large grasp on these technologies unless you like listen to that type of stuff you know or you know it's there's a whole movement that sleepwalkers podcast i'm gonna go nuts with that i'm gonna consume it like my life depends on it
1: you definitely will it's really really good <laughs> well,
2: just uh, yeah, I like technology, but I have like this like love hate relationship with technology. You know, like I love that I can do my podcast through all these things now, and and that the, it's getting better and better. My training, my live virtual business, continuing gets gets better and better through this, and and weirdly enough, in this pandemic. My virtual business is becoming like the way to do things, you know, Mm -hmm. so it's like technology is moving, but then I just don't like kind of what it does to people. It kind of pulls people in like a tractor beam and um, in a weird way where it creates a weird behavior for them on a regular basis, rewires their brain in a different way, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, I definitely get it. And I think um, I'm really aware of that. Like I really try to limit my technology and I try to view it as a tool, not as something that rules over me, you know. And if I see like in myself that I'm spending too much time on my phone or if I see that I'm getting kind of addicted, Mm -hmm. I really cut it out of my life but i feel like the next generations when i see the younger people and the kids we really have to protect them from it because they cannot see this and they cannot uh, act upon it you know so they have to there has to be some protection for them to understand what technology is and that it like you said that it doesn't mess with their minds CHAPTER Seven. Clouds of flames and smoke rose from afar, shouts and gunshots echoed from the mountains. After hours of driving and thought, my worst nightmares seemed to have come true. My heart pushed against my lungs and my body felt numb for a second. A part of me still refused to believe that this was true, that I had not been overreacting, that the village did not stand in peace against the majestic mountains as I tried to talk myself into believing. I hid the car in between trees next to the village so that nobody would notice, but noticed already the big army trucks painted in bright blue colours on the main road. It was too late. Peeking out of the trees I saw how the village of Area 3 burned against the backdrop of the mountains. Fire illuminated the turf huts, lit by the soldiers in black suits with bluish elements. Underneath lay a titanium exoskeleton that would enhance physical performance and capture kinetic energy. All of them had blue helmets and black masks, with a display monitor inside that in some way resembled the Iron Man movies. Attack assistance and real-time health monitoring. The soldiers attacked like faceless monsters, without mercy or any trace of humanity. I ducked and ran across the village, along the houses. My hands shook and I crawled through the smoke and the cries. The soldiers show no mercy for women and children. Most men usually worked in the fields this time of the day. Maybe Caleb had taken his son with him. Maybe Rahab went hunting in the woods. Maybe they were still far away or had been able to escape. It smelled of ashes, burning wood and blood. It smelled of death, an odor so familiar from days ago. But this time it was no terrorist attack. It was the other way around.
2: Well, I think it's, I see like these kids now and they're using stuff like TikTok and all that. And they're like waving a phone around, dancing in front of it, posting videos. And I'm like, Uh, this feels like so self-centered, you know? Like it's kind of like, I remember like when I would go on vacation and I started seeing people with those selfie sticks and stuff like that. And I'm like, we always took pictures of ourselves in places. I and mean, we've done that is as, as when we've had the technology. But it feels like it's getting weirder, you know, uh. like that we're taking pictures of like anything. And I think, will you even look at that when you get home? You probably won't because you'll get uh. sideswiped by something else in your life. And I think for like, I remember not having these technologies, I you know, in terms of like I remember not having a cell phone. I remember not having the internet. Like, you know, we talk about people I remember the first time I logged on to the internet when it wasn't a thing. It was yeah. weird. The page yeah. took like 15 minutes to load. I remember that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think people also miss out. Like if you travel and you all you do is just taking pictures, but you don't take in the view and you don't take in the moment. You just miss out on life. And I... I feel like, but I have to stop myself as well, and I have to tell myself, okay, stop making pictures and enjoy that you're here. No matter, like, even if you don't have any pictures, so so what? You don't have to okay. post them on Instagram, you know? <laughs> why do you have to show them to somebody? It's it's your vacation. Why do you have to show all of your food and everything Ooh. that you do daily? You know, it's uh, this is so annoying. But this is why I'm I'm actually in, I'm barely using social media right now because yeah. I feel like. I don't know it's just it's sucking you in at some point but at the same time like what you said it's so self-centered and uh, I don't know it's just it's just annoying (laughs) and right now with the pandemic I try to use uh, try to get away from technology and news and this whole hysteria so yeah
2: isn't it I mean we have a very similar mindset actually I all I have is linkedin and, um, and I just podcast and stuff. So and, and, you know, that's the extent of like my social aspect of that, but it's very like, I'm very also much a person who's like, I only have so much bandwidth for certain things. And if I'm going to be online, I wanted to be one to serve others, help people, um, and just connect and connect with people in uh, a really meaningful way. And, um, I think for me, like the last vacation I took was like a month and a half ago, and I just remember seeing something that disturbed me so much on the vacation, my wife and I, and we saw this couple and they wanted us to take a picture of them. Fine. Great. You know, that's beautiful. It's a wonderful thing. But then like we gave them their phone back and then they basically set up a photo shoot where they were taking all these pictures of themselves in all these different positions centering around the sunset. It was literally like a half an hour. We just sat and watched them. <laughs> And they had like a certain, they went and changed outfits and everything. It was like weird. It was really, and I said, this is what our society is devolving into. The sunset is setting over the water. And they're doing a photo shoot and doing everything, but actually looking at the sunset. Everything. I said, this is messed up, man.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's definitely, it's messed up.
2: It's messed up. Like it really like threw me and I was like, this is going to bring us down. Like we're so into ourselves like for me I remember looking at that sunset Diana and I looked at my wife and I was like I want this to exist in my mind and not in a picture. I don't want anybody else to see this. It's for us to see, yeah. you know?
1: Yeah, this is so true. I think in in this digital age it's so important to just Live in the moment, you know, because not live in your phone and live from the messages and so on. And, but I think this is why it's so important also to educate our kids and to help them deal with technology in the right way and give them the right mindset when it comes to digital technology.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. I want to uh, switch a little bit on to your writing back again. Um, yeah. What's your writing process? How do you come up with your ideas? How do you start that whole thing when you're starting a book?
1: Uh, Yeah, so ideas. I do have a whole swipe file of ideas. I think that's what most authors do. Every idea you have, you just write it down. But those ideas that stick out to me, I actually carry them inside of me for years before I start writing because I'm working on something else. Like when I'm working, I'm working on my trilogy now and I'm finishing it, but I also have a new idea for a whole new series now. And I've I've been working on it in my mind for at least a year, probably. Um, Yes. It's the idea process. And, um, I do a lot of research for my writing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not an author. So I know that there are authors, they can crank out a book in like four months and then crank out the next one. And they write like two, three, four books a year. And that's just not who I am because I need to do research. So when I start writing, I actually, I just write down everything I know about the story, everything I wanted. I think I like, can be scenes, dialogue, uh, just ideas I have. And then I start my research process. I start reading books on that. I start listening to podcasts. Uh, I I do tra- I travel also. So like for my trilogy, I traveled the places that I had my protagonist travel to in the mm-hmm. book. Uh, and this is really important for me because in this research process, my story becomes real. It becomes much deeper. It becomes it, I don't know. It may, I feel like it becomes mature. And yeah, and that's when I start writing and I just crank out my first draft. Uh, hopefully in a month or so, and then the editing process begins. And the editing process for me is the actual writing process, um, and I. I have different approaches to editing. Sometimes I edit chronologically, sometimes Mm -hmm. I edit different scenes or different themes in different scenes. uh, And it takes up a lot of time, but I need to take this time for my editing because this is where my story is formed. Uh, And then I send it out to a professional editor um, Mm -hmm. and to my beta readers. So some trusted people who give me feedback And then I edit it again, and then I do line editing, and after that, it's finally done.
2: (laughs) Oh, man. That's awesome. So you have this idea for this trilogy. You're doing this trilogy. Is there something further out on the horizon that you're planning as well?
1: Uh, You mean like the next trilogy? or Yeah. uh, yeah, definitely. I have the next trilogy in mind as well. I think this one's going to be post-apocalyptic. Uh, and Ooh. based...
2: <laughs> now you yeah. speak, man, you like all the things I like. I'm like, oh, tell me more about it.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's and I also like to write based off some um, uh, mythology stuff. So like my first one is based on Prometheus, the Greek legend. Uh, and the second one I probably will base on an ancient German legend, uh, it's it's kind of a mixed legend. So there's one of those in Germany and the other one is like in the Nordic with like Norway and Sweden. And I will take this one but put it into a post-apocalyptic world and also connect it to technology and stuff. Yeah.
2: Oh my gosh. Post apocalyptic world. Now were you thinking are we thinking like nuclear blast, society has fallen, um artificial intelligence. Any ideas on that? (laughs) To be honest, I don't know
1: yet. I don't don't want to go with a nuclear nuclear blast just because it's so typical. I want it to be something something interesting and I will definitely need to do more research before I decide what has caused the apocalypse because I really want it also to be part of my story then. Um, Yeah, so not sure about that yet. yeah. Um, Yeah. But IA not, I think. I'm not sure because I have IA actually in my first book, so I might go another way. But I don't know. I have no clue. First, I need to finish my trilogy, and then I will dive into that.
2: You got me. I'm all worked up over future editions of things already. I'm like, oh, (laughs) post-apocalyptic. This could be a movie. (laughs) Come on. like.
1: yeah and I'm definitely thinking in movies like i'm like i I studied film, and every time I write, I have this world in my head, and I see it you know if if somebody offered me a movie deal, I wouldn't say no
2: <laughs> yeah why would you? I don't know, I would want to see the movie I mean I'm all for yeah. books here and there, but I definitely love movies more i mean I'm you just... know
1: but i w- I'll be Chris Nolan, you know what he did with oh, his oh my
2: gosh. Love you know Chris what Nolan. he did
1: with, yeah, I know. I, I love him. He's my, like my favorite director. Uh, and you know what he did with Memento? He sold his script for $1 on the condition that he would be the director.
2: Wow. So I
1: thought like, okay, I'd do that as well.
2: <laughs> I love that. That was the first movie I saw of his Memento. and yeah. just loved it. And then I've been just a huge fan of everything he's done. I wonder what the production or maybe the delays might be on the his new movie I think it was like uh Tenet or something like that. Tenet. Or yeah. yeah,
1: I'm looking forward to that so much. I hope we I hope the virus will be done by then so we can go see the movie.
2: I need that movie. <laughs> like I need yeah. that movie. Like I saw the Me preview, too. I was like, Oh god, I was like, I yes. I just I need this movie, man. Like I remember when <laughs> yeah. Interstellar came out and yeah. I watched it three times in the movie theater. It's a long movie. Yeah. I'm obsessed with his movies because I think he's probably one of the only original storytellers mm-hmm. um in Hollywood. I feel like a lot of it's just books repurposed and stuff or stories already told.
1: Oh my god, I really can't see angle. them. Yeah, you know like Part 2, Part 3, Bad Boys Part 4, no, Avengers. No, no, no. Oh my god, I can't watch all of this stuff any longer. So yeah, I... <laughs> his
2: ideas are so like <laughs> groundbreaking, you know. It's like
1: Yeah, you know, but it's it's this is why Hollywood does all of these remakes because they're safe, you know, and nobody wants to take take risks anymore. Um, Yeah, and I feel like Chris Nolan, he's just his stories are amazing, and and he's like the one storyteller that I know who thinks also in such a visual way. Like his visuals are so powerful. Every time I watch his movies, the stories are great, and the and he. He combines the storytelling with, with the visual in such a powerful way. I haven't seen it in any other director yet.
2: Isn't he has, isn't his thing about like, I, I forgive me for this, because I have no knowledge about like the type of filming that's done that he uses something about using a certain type of filming uh, analog versus digital or something that he's a real stickler about, you know?
1: Yeah, he uses IMAX movie cameras. Yeah, that's he's it. Yeah. He's really crazy about IMAX because he and he's also really so like he hates Netflix <laughs> because he's crazy about cinema and he thinks movies belong to the cinema, not like in art.
2: movie theaters, right? And stuff, yeah, large screen, yeah,
1: yeah. And this is why he always films with an IMAX. And I think there were all only three imax cameras in the world and he broke one of them (laughs) filming batman (laughs) so now there are only two but he always films on imax yeah
2: that's amazing yeah i think when i saw inception i was like so blown away by that movie i was like what is this like a dream within a dream and all this going further down and it just his movies make you think they're very cerebral also you know
1: yeah Definitely. And the music and everything oh. it works together. It's just amazing.
2: I tell you that the soundtrack to Interstellar, I just love it so much. It's so sweeping and grand and, and beautiful. I actually got it and I listened to it and it, it's meditation for me, actually. Actually, yeah. it's incredible.
1: Yeah, yeah. I love the soundtrack as well.
2: You're bringing out all this stuff in me that I'm into... <laughs>
1: see we like all the same movies and stuff it's oh so my weird. gosh
2: <laughs> I will I want to like you got a movie you got a movie in there with your books there's got to be a, I mean you've thought about it right you said I mean there's there's a movie in yeah, there I think
1: I think it will it would be a great movie actually but I know you know I'm biased but uh yeah but I think it would cost a lot so getting yeah. this kind of budget Because all post-apocalyptic and dystopian things, they cost a lot of money. And that's the the point with movie. That's why I decided not to go into the movie business. Because it's so about money. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is really difficult. But, you know, if at some point, maybe in 10 years or so, I get a movie deal. Like I said, I wouldn't say no.
2: Okay, come on. (laughs) Remember we (laughs) talked about this. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean... So what happens when you're done with the book? Like, what's that feeling? You've you've written it. It's like the final version. What are you feeling then?
1: Well, um, to be honest i always think about the next step which is publishing because i do self-publish myself and uh it's it's it was a conscious decision so it's not like i wanted to publish with someone but got rejected um i just didn't want to go the traditional route and i wanted to self-publish and uh like the whole marketing and everything about publishing is also my thing. So what I do next is I try to work out a marketing strategy, a publishing strategy. I start the marketing process basically, and it's uh, quite a difficult process, but it's also very interesting and very rewarding. And has to do with storytelling also for me, because you're trying to tell a story to the audience for them to buy your book and buy your product basically. Um, yeah, and this is what I do. And I, I guess kind of the the real feeling of accomplishment and pride you I get when I see the reviews on my books. So when I see positive reviews and people liking my book, like random people just reading it and giving it four or five star reviews, this is where I say, okay, I guess this book was good. <laughs>
2: right, right. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. I, uh, I don't think my listeners know that I used to write books, self-published books many moons ago.
1: Really, and, you uh, did. Yeah,
2: I've published three poetry books. I love poetry mm. and, uh, <clears throat> I was in college when I did it and I was very mm-hmm. busy. I was a collegiate athlete and everything, but I had a very strong pull towards writing poetry back then. And, um, I was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna self-publish these things," and and I just just to do it, and uh, it was fun. They were all very different versions of a poetry mm-hmm. book. I was very influenced by Beowulf at one point. Wow! And so I wrote a um a a poetry book that was one long novel, but in the kind of a poetry format.
1: Wow! Yeah, wow, it's called so, the Empty so Room. difficult to do.
2: It's it's extremely oh. difficult to do, but I I did it, and it's, it's called the Empty Room. And I remember I really was so satisfied when I finished it because it was just like, I just got down to it. I made sure I did it. And, um, so weird. That's so cool. Thanks. still on
1: Amazon? (laughs) Oh yeah.
2: All my books are out there. They're all out there on
1: Amazon. Wow. I'm so excited. I'm going to, I'm going to check them out.
2: You got, you know, what's funny. I, I have not read them or looked at them in, in over a decade, but it's kind of like a secret for me, like that I had, I wrote these books and, uh. Really loved it. And it's funny, I was talking to you on your podcast and I was like thinking, I was like, man, I was like, I'm really going to get back into that. So I started writing another poetry book, which I'm working on right now. And um, it's called Chapter 3. And it's about, you know, the third chapter of my life, you know, where I'm at currently in my life and the thoughts that I think about. And it has a huge, like, artificial intelligence, existential experience slant to it currently, you know
1: wow i found your book you found and, it already <laughs> yeah but it's not available for it's oh, like uh. there's no ebook ebook available
2: oh that's too bad Only a paperback
1: I mean, and it's really really expensive
2: <laughs> yeah no, you know why because like nobody's has looking for it you know like and just and yeah. back then like people were not doing ebooks when i was doing this wasn't a thing
1: 2004 yeah so yeah i
2: bad. mean this was like a long time ago so it was just paperback Afford, but um, it was something yeah, I really enjoyed
1: doing. Nowadays, self-publishing is so much easier. but And I think poetry is kind of a tough genre, mm-hmm. but I think there is room for it right now. So like people are try- getting back into poetry, and there are possibilities to market it, definitely. So you, you shouldn't give up on that.
2: I'm doing it. I'm writing you know, poems. I'm up to about 30 so far for my book and um it's been interesting my writing process is very different because back then i you know i was single and i was writing i could devote like all day to it you know on a weekend Mm -hmm. or something and now because i have a child and i'm married like it's just a very different process of writing kind of just write when i can at this point Mm -hmm. (laughs) so but i identify with that but i'm i'm curious um just, about, I really like the content that you're talking about. It speaks to me. Like I love science fiction or dystopic or post-apocalyptic. Like you're naming this stuff off. I'm like, oh my, God, this is like my thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> like totally my thing, you know?
1: Yeah, but I, I definitely think that also like, I think everybody should write a book actually. And I think everybody can. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there is a book inside everybody But it's just you have to devote yourself to the process at some point. I think many people want to write a book, but Mm -hmm. few people actually do, which is a shame because I think the world would be so much richer with all those books out there.
2: What would be your advice for someone to get started in writing their own book?
1: Uh, Well go out go and check out my website
2: (laughs) (laughs) come on plug shameless plug let's go
1: (laughs) because everything on this website is all about how to get started writing and how to live the author life um yeah so but like the general advice is to write uh to devote some time a day to writing and daily this is the key i think to write Mm. daily because once you stop writing like when i tried to write my first draft of the first book, my very first book, Uh, I really struggled with that because I I picked out a day and I sat down for two or three hours. Like you said, I had like a bulk of time and I wrote and then for the rest of the week, I couldn't find time to write. And when I wanted to get into writing, like the next week, it was so difficult because you, you were away from the material for such a long time and you have to get into it, blah, blah, blah. And so the key is to rather... Even if it's only 15 minutes a day yeah, uh, or 20, 10 minutes a day, whatever, but daily. And I think this is the key. And another key is to write, a, to have a focused writing time. So if you have only 10 or 15 minutes, they are sacred. Nobody can disturb you. You have to have your phone on flight mode and you have to concentrate on your writing like without any distractions for 15 minutes. But... Even if you do that, you, you'll have a book in no time. Like John Grisham, the famous author, his, uh, his secret is write a page a day. Hmm. And that's it. And this is how he wrote so many books and got popular, only a page a day.
2: Makes sense. I mean, it was definitely what I used to do, And which is funny. This is the first. I've not told anybody about this, but actually I wrote a novel, Uh, kind of a fantasy kind of think of it, kind of a Lord of the Rings sci-fi type of novel. Mm -hmm. I never published it. It's been on my computer for 15 years. And sometimes I look at it like I completed it. It's like done the whole thing. And I just, I never knew what to do with it because I was like, this is why am I doing this? But it's like sitting there literally. And I like every time I read it, I love it. I love it
1: you should publish it
2: i should right i'm like <laughs> yeah. it's literally just sitting on my computer f- over 15 years and i'm like this i enjoy reading this when i read it <laughs> you know
1: yeah but you know if you do i think other people will too <laughs> so you should publish it
2: i should you're pushing me towards this and i like it's good <laughs> cuz i'm like man this is like at one point I was just writing like crazy. So I had those three poetry books. I wrote a professional uh kind of a book on called Training the Trainers about training yeah. other personal trainers. I put that out and then this was my last thing that I had did that I had done this kind of novel. Um, and it was the one I liked the most because it was like I thought it could be a movie, honestly. I was like, This is incredible, <laughs> you know. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so, you know, but I think just I have to say one thing about self-publishing. The thing about self-publishing is that everybody can self-publish right now, which is cool. But at the same time, uh, because everybody self-publishes, people kind of expect, okay, I put my book out there and that's it. And then the readers will come and find it automatically. And this won't happen, you know? So when you self-publish, you have, the the business is also, it's still a business and it's quite tough, Uh, but uh, you just have to do the steps to get your book out there, to get readers to your book. Like There are several steps you can do, several strategies, but... It's just very important to just for everybody else also listening who's who's saying okay I want to self publish I have this book and I want to get it out there, not to expect that people will just come in automatically because they won't, and if you expect that you're disappointed you know that's why it's so important to realize that.
2: Now some do you think that I have like a couple ways i want to go about this so when you're self-publishing currently i mean i did it way back in the dinosaur age there but is there a certain like company that you recommend or a couple places you recommend to self-publish doesn't amazon do it now and stuff like that
1: uh yeah so i just gonna say what i do like i self-publish directly on amazon Mm -hmm. and i self-publish but i do wide publishing so i don't do ku kindle unlimited which you also can do it's a little bit easier if you get started. Uh, but I'm I just publish wide like on all platforms because of my, um, I wouldn't say ideology, but of because of what I believe in. I don't want to be dependent on one platform. You know, mm-hmm. so if I only publish on Amazon, if I only publish exclusively on Amazon and something happens like the platform crashes or they just I don't know lower their prices or their royalties, and my whole life depends on this platform. I'm screwed. That's why I don't do this. I publish wide and also want to have my book like available for everybody who's not on Amazon, who's not reading on the Kindle, for example.
2: So wide um, means like just on variety of platforms or is that an actual... Yeah, so
1: it's on the variety of platforms, okay. on Amazon, on Apple, on Kobo, on all the other platforms that are out there. And you, there's also a company called draft 2 digital and they do this for you. So if you upload your manuscript there, they just publish it on every platform that there is, and you pay them via royalties. So with every book you sell, you're giving like a certain percentage to them right. for what they do.
2: What's the name of that and again?
1: Draft to digital.
2: Draft to digital. That's cool. Yeah. You're pushing and me into my I'm putting my book out. You know that you're pushing me into it.
1: <laughs> that's good. <laughs>
2: That's fantastic. And now, do you do audible? Like is it an audio readings along with that ebooks? Like it's all part of it?
1: I would love to do audiobooks, and I think audiobooks are the future thing to be honest. Uh because they're just growing. The audiobook market is growing rapidly right now. Uh I just cannot afford it right now to do audiobooks, but I think I will when I finish my trilogy. When I have it finished, I will aim to do an audiobook of this trilogy as well. Uh, it's just quite expensive to pay a speaker. Um, yeah, but I have ebooks, I have printed books. Printed books are really easy to do nowadays. Uh, I, for now, I just print via Amazon and you have like print on demand. So you don't have to host all these books, the printed copies at your house and handle the logistics. You just set it up on Amazon and every time somebody buys a hard copy... Amazon prints it and sends it out to the buyer and you have nothing to do with it, basically, yeah. which is amazing. I do remember
2: doing that. That definitely happened when I did mine. But in the audio thing, do you, is, there, is there any movement for um, authors to read their own book? Because I've heard both ways where some people are like, read it yourself. It's your book. Or some people, I want a professional reader to make it sound, you know, d- you know in this person's amazing voice. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I think there are many authors, and especially when the authors are speakers, for example, and uh, especially also if it's a nonfiction book. Like, for example, if you did a book on fitness and people are used to your voice because you podcast a lot, it's really good for them if you read it yourself. But I think for fiction, it's it's quite different. Like, for example, in my book, my main hero, my main character is uh, a male pers- male person. Mm-hmm. So I would want a male voice to actually read this book because it makes so much sense. Uh, and also I need several dialects and I'm not a professional speaker. So um, yeah, I wouldn't do it myself. But I think if you're if you're trained to do this and you actually also have to realize it's so much hard work to read your book. It's right. not like podcasting where you're allowed to do mistakes and you just, mm-hmm. where you have this conversational style, but you have to do it really reread it and reread it and it takes so many hours and it's really difficult
2: i feel like you'd be good at reading uh a book or something i mean you have like a good voice for that like i would like to hear you read like a spy novel or something (laughs) (laughs) i feel like it'd be like a pretty good like reading and be like oh yeah they're going into the building you know
1: (laughs) yeah but i'm i'm really insecure to be honest i'm really insecure about my accent because uh yeah, because I don't know which what kind of accent I have. Because I, I'm I'm actually I come from a Russian German background, and English is like my third language. So when it comes to accent, I, I have no idea it, what is this American British, and what do I do? And you know, and, and I know that in the English speaking uh, like area, people really pay a lot of attention to accent. So I, I, to be honest, I'm really insecure about that. So I don't know if I would ever do this.
2: <laughs> we're obsessed with accents. American people, especially yeah. we're like literally obsessed See. with people's accents. It's pretty funny, See? actually,
1: <laughs> yeah, Britain as well. they're also yeah. obsessed with accents yeah
2: well, they have a they have a different accent like it's all like Americans try to like speak British all the time. they're like, oh, and stuff <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, like but and then in
1: Britain, like in Britain alone, they have like ten different accents or something. It's. Seriously. it's crazy. It's like yeah, somebody you from have
2: Liverpool a- versus Manchester or something. Yes, Manchester, like-
1: and then when you go all the way up, you have like the Welsh, and then you have the Scots, yeah. they have their own accent and so on.
2: Yeah, it's yeah. there is a lot of people are hung up on accents, but honestly, I think you could definitely read some. I think you have a great voice. I think it would sound really good. Thank you. <laughs> true.
1: Yeah, maybe I will someday, but I, then I need to take like a seminar or something on accents first. So that <laughs> <laughs> that I know my stuff, you know. Before I could just on. read
2: in different languages or something like German, Russian, or so, you know.
1: I could definitely read in German. So in German, I'm really secure because I obviously I live in Germany and I speak it like on a day to day basis. In Russian, I'm not so sure. I can speak Russian pretty well, but mm-hmm. um, I feel like I still have an accent. For like the Rus- the people who are from Russia, they instantly hear it. So okay. yeah.
2: Wow, I gotta tell you this flew by for me and i had no clue like i'm like oh diana you know creativity writing and i I never know where i'm going with anything but like uh the whole like artificial intelligence and uh, the themes i'm like i would have never known this stuff unless we just started going there it's amazing you know
1: yeah i'm i'm really thankful for that that we and i love talking about this stuff so for me it flew by as well
2: that's incredible well, Diana, thank you so much uh, all the way from Germany. And um I was born there people. I was born there, lived there twice, so I got a little bit of that going.
1: <laughs> well, so cool you told it to me on the podcast as well. I was really surprised.
2: <laughs> exactly. Like I had a trip planned in Germany a couple of years ago and I was doing like Duolingo to like get back into the swing of speaking Russian again and then like I was like a year straight like going into it. And then we canceled the trip, and I was like, "I'm done. <laughs> I go back into this language again." <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, I but I, I don't know German. German. Do you, you mean German, right? German is yeah. not that difficult.
2: No, it's not. It's not bad. I mean, it's um, there's so many words that are kind of English-like too in it, you know. So
1: it I'm wasn't bad. You, the Russian, the Russian language, it's it's crazy. It's like if I if it wasn't my my um, like the language I grew up with I would never learn it it's so dang difficult it's too hard yeah. it's so hard it's really hard it makes no sense like at all
2: because <laughs> <laughs> the German makes a lot of sense to me I'm like oh okay that sounds just like the English version of that word <laughs> you know like
1: yeah, it's quite straightforward, though.
2: Yeah.
1: But, no, no, Russian... It's like,
2: it, oh, I'm hungry. You know, it's like, okay, it makes sense. You know, I'm like, okay, whatever. And, but then, like, there's, like, weird words. It's like breakfast, like, fruhstuck I'm like, how does that... What's breakfast about that? I don't know. Like,
1: you know. Yeah, Frühstück. it means, like, if you translate it literally, it means early peace. <laughs>
2: oh. Wow. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I didn't know that. <laughs> I like... So now it makes sense,
2: right? Well, but Yeah, of course. But then it's like, the funny stuff is when it was like, you know, you want like, oh, Wein und Bier, you know, or something. You're like, that makes so much sense. <laughs> it's so much sense, you know, like, it's so easy, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but then you get like something like, oh, Entschuldigung, and you're like, okay, that's like a mouthful for like, sorry, or, you know, whatever, like.
1: Well, but nowadays you can say sorry and people don't mind. It's just a sin
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a lot of fun. well, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it, Diana.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun.
2: You got it. We'll be in touch, all right?
1: Yeah, definitely. Right. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of dr D's social network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review my dad's show on Apple Podcast in the rate and review section. Thanks everyone.
0: Luxury exemplified, innovation electrified. The all-new, all-electric EQS SUV for Mercedes-Benz.